0: wanted to have your own podcast, but you just didn't know where to start. I know that it used to be me until I uh, was told about Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm is one of the best podcasting platforms out there because it's free. They help you with distribution, getting onto all the various podcasting platforms. They have tools for editing and for creating all the podcasts, uh, and they even have monetization tools. It's a really, really great app and website. I highly recommend it. If you want to get your own podcast going, go and download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I can't recommend them highly enough. So download that free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm so you can get started making your own podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. The question of miracles is a topic that always evokes a response no matter where you bring it up. Among our broader culture, you might receive a sneer or maybe just a look of suspicion. But even in the church, some people will get excited and others might be Cautious and hesitant when you bring up the miraculous and the experience, and especially the potential to experience miracles. I'm excited to bring back onto the show the esteemed philosopher J.P. Moreland to discuss his latest book, A Simple Guide to Experience Miracles Instruction and Inspiration for Living Supernaturally in Christ. I must admit that J.P.'s work in this area has profoundly influenced me. He's helped me to be a lot more open to and even desiring to see extraordinary works of the spirit. And so I hope that you'll get a lot out of it too. JP Moreland has his PhD from the University of Southern California. He's the Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University in La Mirada, California. He has written or contributed to over 95 books, including The God Conversation, Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview, In Search of a Confident Faith, and love God with all your mind. Before we dive into this episode, let me encourage you to subscribe to our email list so that you can get the latest content sent directly to your inbox. Just visit the link in the show notes and you can subscribe on my website. Also be sure that you're subscribed to filter wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get all future episodes right on your homepage. If you're helped by this content, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a rating and review or shared this show with your friends. Leave filter a five-star rating on Spotify and, rate it and and give it a rating and review on Apple Podcast. This will only take a minute of your time. And when you take these simple steps, it really helps us out to get the message of biblical clarity out to more people. Well, without any further delay, let's jump into this conversation that I got to have with J.P. Moreland. J.P., welcome back to the podcast.
1: It's always a privilege, Aaron. Great to be with you.
0: Well, I'm really, really happy that you're back. I've already expressed that as we were talking just before. Uh, I've been looking forward to it. It's a pleasure to get to talk to you. Today, we're talking about your newest book, which is A Simple Guide to Experiencing Miracles. Uh, We're going to have a great discussion on this. Let's just start with what inspired you, motivated you to write this book.
1: That's a great question. Um, Several years ago, I did a study of the Book of Acts and the first four centuries of the church. And I tried to find out what were the things uppermost in the mind of the disciples and the early fathers of the church when they thought about uh, evangelism and building strong believers. And I discovered three things were consistently present. The first was the life of the mind, knowing what we believe as Christians and why, and standing out uh, against the culture where needed. Secondly, the cultivation of a tender heart toward God and Christ-like character through ordinary discipleship practices like re- prayer and reading the Word, but the third one was really surprising to me, and it was the uh, manifestation of the power of God's kingdom in the name of Jesus through signs and wonders, and this continued all throughout church history, and and so. Uh, uh, in my book, unfortunately, uh, those of us in the West, myself included, in the past have, have tended to be a little bit uh, doubtful or skeptical about miracle claims. Rightly so, by the way, so because so much of it is associated with kind of kind of a goofy anti-intellectual part of the Christian community, and I thought there was a need for a, a book that wasn't like that 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 actually came out <laughs> that that actually came out and strongly vetted uh real cases of of supernatural miraculous activity in five different areas that that you couldn't just dismiss because I'm not hopefully I'm not viewed as someone who doesn't think about things. And so that was why I wanted our brothers and sisters to, to bring that third element of seeing the power of the kingdom. Paul said the kingdom does not consist in words, but in power. And I want to see more of that manifested through us to, to our brothers and sisters and to a watching world. So that's why I wrote the book.
0: Yeah, that third key that you talked about, the manifestation of the Spirit's power, is definitely one that is hard to deny to anyone who reads Acts. It is clear that that was one of their key apologetics. It was one of their key uh, evidences they pointed to of the truth of the resurrection and of the gospel uh, for Jews and Gentiles. But there's a lot of people, like you pointed out, who are skeptical today, We can talk about the different types of skepticism or just or even hesitancy. But let's start with the one that you've referred to already, which is that we live in an enlightened scientific age and people today are uh, not extremely ready to just accept the belief that miracles are possible. And so how do you defend uh, a belief in the possibility of miracles in our culture today?
1: Right. Well, I think you're. I think you're spot on, Aaron. Since the mid 1920s, there has been a progressively growing secularization of American culture. Even the 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 idea that scientific naturalism is really the only way we know reality is in the drinking water. We absorb it through education and so on. Even Christians have not been able to shield themselves from this kind of view. And I, I that's not a criticism. It's just a fact. So I think that what you have to do is, first of all, learn how to engage in more miraculous activities yourself so you have authentic testimonies that you can share. And my book explains exactly how to go about doing that, how to grow in this. But the other thing I, I would say would be this. <clears throat> besides uh, giving credible testimonies to uh, the miraculous that one has seen, um, I think that you build a case for God's existence first. And if you can show that there's a, there's a, just a ton of reasons to believe that there is a supreme personal God, then uh, you have no idea uh, whether they're going to be miracles or not. Uh, and the only thing you can do is go look and see, because now you say, well, they're highly unlikely. Well, how do you know? Um, You don't know the mind of God. Maybe they're happening more than you know. And so what you do is you look for the best uh, place where God maybe this God you believe exists from creation might be intervening. And I discovered that the place to look was Jesus in the New Testament documents. I became persuaded that they were historically reliable and, and Jesus rose from the dead. And so that created in me an expectation that God would co-labor with me as I was seeking to grow and, and disciple others and evangelize. And one of the ways that that would happen <clears throat> would be that I, I would see uh, miraculous events of various kinds. Unfortunately, that was, uh, that was taught out of me by the Christian community, uh, who for one reason or another said that 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 kind of stuff is associated with a branch of the church that we don't want to have anything to do with. And uh, so uh, that's how I would do it. I would start with God and move to Christianity, and then the expectation, and then I would begin. uh, I list eight ways in the first chapter of the book, practical steps that the reader can take. To grow in their expectation, let me just close with this. you can't just will yourself to have more faith. I mean you can't say well i'm just going to exp- I'm going to believe God for this when you really don't uh, because it doesn't you just can't I'm like you I, if I paid you five hundred bucks to believe that there was a pink elephant in your room, you couldn't do it. Uh, you could say you believe, uh, but you couldn't do it, but what you have to do is there are certain steps you can take to grow in your expectation and then you begin to to testify to others what you've seen and heard and uh, that's that's the uh the power of i think uh the miraculous apart from the fact that sometimes people get healed and it's tremendously healing to them and relieving
0: hmm. yeah and to others around them who who get to witness it and share in that
1: oh absolutely
0: so what would you say to the skeptic once you've argued with them uh, about the possibility or, or or of God's existence. And they say, okay, so I'm open to the idea of there being a divine being or a transcendent power. Right. And they then say, see evidence of miracles, whether that be here or around the world. And they say, okay, but how is this evidence for the Christian God? How do you know that this isn't some other God at work? Uh, how do you yeah. make the connection between finally say okay miracles do exist there's something happening and it is the christian god who is doing it or or are are you open to saying that there are other times whenever there could be another power at work that we have to discern Well,
1: yes <laughs> well in the book i make very clear that uh, that uh supernatural activities can be done by angels and demons and i have evidence that these beings are real and in that they're acting in the world. So you're right about that. But uh, uh, if Christianity is true, then the first thing it tells us is that we should expect God to perform miracles for people that aren't believers. He says that God causes the sun and to shine and the rain to fall on the, on the just and the unjust because God loves people all over the world and sometimes he will simply be merciful and grant a request uh even if they are muslims or whatever that might be now you might say well won't that reinforce their conviction that allah is god well i think god would be smart enough to know when it would be appropriate to do that and when it would be counterproductive and i would say in cases where it would Bring greater harm than good. He won't do it. But if he knows that there are cases where he could show mercy to someone and it would not entrench them, uh, then then I would predict, as a Christian, that God is going to do things around the world, uh, but just out of sheer mercy and love. But I would say a second thing, and that is, if you look at at history, the history of the church, which I've done and what's happening in the world today, it becomes evident that the number and quality of miracles done in the name of Jesus is so much stronger than any other religion that there's really no comparison. Here's an illustration. One of the leading missionaries in the world, who's probably been around the globe 25 to 30 times, this guy's been everywhere. And uh, he came to my office and he told me of a trip he took with a with a film crew and some others up in the backwoods in the mountains in India, where no no gospel had ever been presented. These people did not know anything about Jesus. When they got to the village, there was clear demonic manifestations going on. People were demonized, their religion involved invoking and worshiping demons, and they were there were a lot of people were manifesting we can talk about that later <clears throat> So he did an experiment he, he he prayed against the demons in the name of Krishna and in the name of uh, Allah uh, and in in the name of Buddha and he was able through a translator to learn who their little deities were and he prayed in their names and nothing happened. When he spoke to the demon in the name of Jesus and told them to leave, they did. Now, the villagers didn't know wow. the name Jesus. Okay. But So it wasn't, it, what was going on is that the demon knew who Jesus was and oh. they knew, but they didn't recognize these other beings and didn't respond to them. So, I mean, that's one example of what I would say to a skeptic. Wow. Things happen in Jesus' name with a greater frequency and a greater depth of, of supernaturalism than with any other religion.
0: Wow. So before we get a little bit deeper into just experiencing <clears throat> miracles, I want to talk about the, the Christian skeptic, one who believes in the existence of God, his power and abilities to do miracles, but they are hesitant to say that he still does them today. What is yes. what's your biblical and theological response to well, whether asking. we want to call give it a label cessationist or or even yes. someone who I was telling you before I wouldn't call myself a cessationist but I think that I have been right uh, prior to reading some of your material a, a lot more hesitant and closed off.
1: Right, than I realized.
0: Well, so, yeah, what will be the the biblical theological yes. answer you would give? Well, uh,
1: the, the, first of all, the reason this happens is to, basically twofold. First, we we've been we've absorbed naturalism without knowing it, but secondly, we're we are embarrassed to share with each other when we've seen something happen. We don't want to look like we're trying to get all the attention to ourselves, or that we're trying to be super spiritual, or you know, we don't want to look silly and kind of. Uh, be ridiculed because we assume that people who believe in that sort of thing uh, will be looked at that way. So even though we s- ha- see a miracle, and I've tested this in so many churches, how many of you seen a person healed? How many of you shared this with somebody in the church? No hands go up. So we're, we think nothing's happening because when it does, nobody tells, nobody bears witness to it. Now here's here's why I hold this. It may surprise you to know that my theological basis for the continuing expectation of seeing the supernatural has nothing to do with spiritual gifts, nothing. It is rooted in the nature of the of this present form of the kingdom of God now. I believe that when Jesus came, he inaugurated a new form of the kingdom, but I believe that there will be another form when Jesus returns, that will be the full manifestation. So we live in a period. I co- we co- is called now, not yet. The kingdom is full, is here now in a new way, but it's not yet what it's going to be. So that w- we don't we don't have the power that will be manifest when Christ returns. That doesn't mean though we don't have new power. It just means that if you pray for the sick a lot of times, it n- nothing will happen. And by the way, I have in the book. 14 reasons why God doesn't answer prayer or heal the sick when it looks like he should. Hmm. And I think those will help people when they're disappointed with God. But but to me, the the basis for the, uh, the, the supernatural manifestation of God's power is that the kingdom of God includes precisely the manifestations of power. And if you look at the New Testament, the reason that uh, Jesus and and God intervened and healed people wasn't just as a sign to validate his authority. Uh, It was also a pure act of compassion because Jesus loved people and wanted them to get well. That's clear in the New Testament. Jesus was moved with compassion and Mm -hmm. he healed someone. So, um, So that would be my theological basis. And then... I do have uh, a a couple of statements about the gifts of the Spirit, which I also believe all of them are available today. I don't believe that apostleship is a gift, so I don't think that there are apostles today. I think it's an office rather than a gift, but I do believe the other gifts are available, uh, and uh, I, I give some reasons for that. So that's what I would say. Uh, to a skeptical believer, uh, I, I would say that, that a John MacArthur, who is a cessationist, could still be read my book and say, yea, verily, and amen, because he believes the kingdom of God is here now, though there's a future form, and that's all I need to theologically motivate this.
0: Mm. That's good. No, I know that philosophers love defining things. So let's define what is what is a miracle. Yeah. How do we discern whenever yes. one has happened versus well, you're, being you're, a wild coincidence or
1: something else? You're nailing it, man. Um, uh, I define a miracle, and non-technically, as uh, a special act or intervention by God into the laws of nature that changes the course of things, and it is done for a purpose. So when God intervenes and does something special that isn't the normal way things operate, and brings about a new effect that could not be produced just by uh, natural laws, uh, that is an example of a miracle. I would also include actions of demons and Angels, though if a person doesn't want to call them miracles, that would be fine. I would just call them and other supernatural interventions, because when a demon or an angel does something in the world, and I have thorough documentation that these beings are real, then that would be a supernatural act. But but now the question that you raise is this. How do we tell the difference between a real uh, miracle and just a, a, a serendipitous, lucky coincidence? Here's why that question is important. One of the reasons that it's it's very important to 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 see the miraculous and hear credible testimony to them is that it really it boosts your faith. It it increases your strength. It gives you courage and confidence. Uh, now. What can happen is the day after you've seen this, you start thinking, well, now, but I wonder, could that have been coincidence? And that begins to erode the, the, the strengthening that you should have, should receive from what you've seen. So that's why this question is important. <clears throat> now, what is, what is very, uh, well, first of all, let me answer it by saying that in the world around us, we see causes that produce an effect. Now, sometimes the cause is a natural cause, like a flash of lightning splits a tree. The effect is the splitting of the tree. The cause is the flashing of that lightning. But sometimes uh, the effect is the setting of the dinner table in a certain way. And the cause is my wife uh, as an agent uh, who... Brought about the tables being set in a certain way because we're having Chinese neighbors over instead of our Mexican friends, and in science uh, there has been a principle that has been developed, especially in archaeology and in linguistics, forensic science, and uh, anthropology and some others that helped that have helped them tell the difference between uh, just a, a highly unlikely coincidence. Versus a real act by a rational, intelligent free agent. In fact, just recently, there was a cave a few months ago that was that was discovered where Neanderthals lived in that cave, and I take them to be degenerate forms of humans myself. Uh, but they were rational and intelligent, and they found artifact Neanderthal artifacts in the cave. But there was a certain formation on the cave wall where some anthropologists said it was produced by uh, the Neanderthals themselves as a piece of art, others said, no, that's just erosion. That's just typical cave erosion. So they applied the principle that I'm about to share with you. And it brought about virtually unanimous agreement that this was actually something done on purpose by by a Neanderthal. It wasn't a, look, uh, just an accidental case of highly unlikely erosion. So I, I, I'm taking a scientific principle and I'm applying it to, to the spiritual life. And here's the principle. You can know beyond any reasonable doubt that some event or, or or some fact in the world is was done by a rational, intelligent, free agent, and it wasn't a coincidence, if two conditions are met. The first one is the event has to be highly unlikely, highly Hmm. improbable, but that's not enough because suppose you and I were playing bridge and we had a $500 kitty that we were playing for. And uh, on the first hand, I I dealt you and and me a hand on the first deal. And lo and behold, I got a perfect bridge hand on the very first deal. Now, my hand would raise suspicions and yours wouldn't uh, because even though both of our hands are equally improbable for you to get that specific arrangement of random cards is every bit as improbable as me getting a specific hand that wins the pot. Uh, so a small probability has got to be there, but that's not enough The second thing has to be added, and that is this. There is something special about this outcome that makes it an important outcome besides the fact that it happened. Now, let's look at your hand. There's nothing special about your hand besides the fact that it's the one you got. In fact, the only way we can describe your hand is that you got some hand or other that was a random deal of these cards. Different. That's not the way my hand is. My hand's improbable, but it's special. How is it special? Well, according to the rules of bridge, it says quite independently of our game that anybody who gets a hand with these cards wins. So it's the combination of a, a, something special about the result besides the fact that it happened plus its improbability that virtually guarantees or almost no false positives that this was done on purpose by an agent and not an accident let me give you one illustration and then i'll we'll, we'll finish this line of thinking this principle was actually applied by the democrats in a court case where they sued the republican and won the case based upon this principle, which I call the intelligent agent principle. Here's what happened: several years ago, there were state elections being run for the state house assembly, and there were eight districts that were voting, and uh, there were eight, seven or eight different parties running in each district. When the ballots were produced the ballots in all eight of these districts listed the Republican candidate first. Now, that is highly improbable to happen. You would expect one of those ballots to have the Libertarian or the Green Party or the Democratic Party or what have you. So the, that was a highly improbable result. But if, if there was a specific arrangement of uh, parties that uh, that was green democrat uh uh you know the uh libertarian party if that occurred on every ballot that would be equally as improbable mm-hmm. so the improbability was not enough to get a guilty conviction but that when it, the improbability plus what i'm about to tell you secured a conviction and that is that there was something special about this Arrangement of parties that wouldn't be true of any of the others, and here's what it is: We know that if a party is uh, is, is listed first on a ballot, they get more num- more votes just because they're first. People have a tendency to vote for the first person they see, and the ballot the person in charge of making the ballots was a Republican. And so he had a vested interest in his party winning, and if he put the Republican first in all the ballots, it would increase their chances. Well, mm-hmm. it was that plus the improbability that persuaded the jury that this man needed to be fined and was guilty now if i have a if I see something happen and I've prayed for something specific, and what happens is really unlikely. And I have 40 to 50 cases of these things in the book that I have carefully vetted. And I've staked my reputation on knowing they're true. These are not people that I just, you know, interviewed in the mountains of Arkansas. These are are vetted cases. Mm -hmm. But if they're praying for something specific and it happens and it's unlikely, that is not an accident. That's an answer to prayer. Same with healing or hearing God speaking. So that that's my answer to that. Is that is that helpful?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's about discerning where there's been an intention and then yes. an, an end reached by that intention.
1: Yes, and it's in the book. I go into simple detail on this and I th- myself think that alone is worth the price of admission because it's something that'll help people from here on in not be confused.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of uh, what Lewis talked about in miracles. Remember, he said that one thing that makes uh, the biblical miracles unique is that he said, you know, um, for example, Jesus never did any miracles that were just really cool, just for the sake of them being neat. You know, he never uh, he never set a tree on fire just to do right. it. Or, right. And, and Lewis pointed out in, in other religions, you see uh, figures do uh, different. You know a quote-unquote miraculous things that don't accomplish anything don't really uh, give meaning inside of any greater context they're just neat they're just interesting uh, amazing to see whereas in the bible and in christianity every miracle uh, has meaning within the context of uh, god's mission on earth or as you've put it in god's kingdom right he says you know whenever you read the new testament you see how all the miracles are God at work to restore his world to you know what he intended it to be, and so well, i I'm hearing something similar in, in in what you're saying
1: well you're you're so on the money because look look at the miracles of jesus well we ha- they're highly unlikely to happen I mean if somebody prays for somebody that's unlikely but but then but but it's also special because there was a specific meaning attached to this event happening. What was that meaning? Well, it was uh, an, a, an attempt to, it was the, the showing that Jesus was who he was presenting himself as being and that he had compassion on people and was not a harsh God like the Jewish people thought him to be. So you, that, that is a perfect example. Now, in the book, um, I give five different kinds of supernatural events. And, uh, Aaron, what I do is I give a biblical and a thoughtful basis for them. And then I give a, a whole host of cases that are real live cases. And then I give some practical application about how do you pray for the sick or. How do you grow in your expectations and that sort of thing? So the book Mm -hmm. isn't just theoretical. And those miracles are specific answers to prayer, um, miraculous healings, hearing God speak to you in five different ways outside of the Bible, but under the Bible's authority. Uh, uh, Fourth are manifestations of angels or demons. And fifth, are near-death experiences, which, by the way, I show in the book, that the majority of them are actually quite consistent with the Bible, but there are some that aren't, and I ascribe those to just people distorting what they saw by bringing their baggage and interpreting it in the wrong way. But those are the those are the miracles that I uh, describe in detail.
0: Mm. Yeah, I'd like to hear some of those miracles, but uh, there's another thing you've said a few times now that's just really piqued my interest every time and saying that angels and demons are at work in our world. What are some examples you can point to and help people to see and understand that uh, your your point of view and saying that there are angels and demons at work? If someone says, well, really, I've been on this earth for several decades and I've never seen a demon, uh, what would you say to them?
1: Right. Starting with angels, uh, uh, my own story. Uh, it, several years ago, I was speaking in Seattle in May. And it was on a Friday night. And afterwards, a lady came up to me and said, Dr. Moreland, thanks for your talk. But for the fifty minutes you spoke, I saw three angels guarding you. There was a tall one behind you and two short ones on either side. Well, I thought she was crazy. And I got away from her. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. So... Fast forward to September right after the school year started and I'm going through a hard time. And in the 35 years at that time that I had been a Christian, I'd never prayed ever once for angels to protect me. But I decided to do that. And I said, Lord, I don't know if those angels were real or not, but I could really, if they are real and if they're here or not here, would you send them to protect me? And would you let me know they're here? A week and a half later, I got an email. I have all this in a folder from a grad student who said, JP, I didn't want to tell you this, but I, I need to share something with you. And a bunch of the other students that I needed to. A couple About th- three or four days ago, while you were lecturing on metaphysics, I saw three angels appear for 20 minutes standing around you. And there was a tall one behind you and two shorter ones on either side. And I said, I said, well, come and talk to me. Well, he brought, he came to me and he brought a picture of it. He drew. And, um, he, I said, have you ever seen angels? He said, no, I never, so he's not goofy or anything like that. So that was odd. I mean, and, Hmm. uh, they were, he he was clear. They were in the room and he described them, but I I don't want to go. They were just robed figures. Couldn't see their faces. Then, um, uh, A period after that, about a couple of years after that, I got an email from a lawyer who said, you don't know me. I'm not a student, but I've been going through a lot of anxiety, and I know you have too. Could I come and visit you and get help? So he did, and I met with him for about an hour, and at the end, I said, would you get on your knees and let me put my hands on you and pray for you? And I did, and he left, and we had a wonderful time. Well, 18 months later, I got an email from this lawyer. I've got all, like I say, I have all this on file. And he said, Dr. Moreland, you're not going to remember me, but I, and I said, I, but I did remember him. He said, I didn't tell you something and I can't hold it any longer. I don't know if you're going to think badly of me, but here it is. When I was down on my knees, I had my eyes closed and I felt some presences come in the room. And when I opened my eyes, Dr. Moreland, I, I swear I saw three angels that were standing around you uh, kind of protecting you while you prayed over me. And I emailed him and said, have you ever heard any of my experiences with angels? And he said, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about, but no, so that's three testimonies. Now there, there are, there, there is uh, another one that's very important. Uh, A couple of years ago, I went up to a conference to speak on apologetics in the Portland area. And I spoke that morning on the existence of God, and we took a 30-minute break, and we had a lot of, book, a lot of ministries were displaying their books and their brochures. Well, in the foyer, this, I noticed this lady made a beeline toward me. She was in her early 40s, I would guess. And there were two of the secretaries in the apologetics program that have been here 10 years. I know they're still with us. And I had taken a buddy from church my age to fly with me up there to, to see what the conference was like. This lady says, uh, Professor Moreland, you don't know me, but all my life I was, I've was i been a Jewish atheist. But a little over a year ago, I gave my life to, to Yeshua, and I'm now a Jesus follower. And uh, there were two of your books that really helped me. And I said, my goodness, thank you for sharing that. But she said, that's not why I came over. I have something I want to tell you. This morning when you were speaking... I saw and I said, stop right there. Stop. Uh, uh, Don't go any further. And I said to the two secretaries and to my buddy, Mark Stevens, who was there, I said, I want you to hear what is about to be said. And I said, ma'am, may I ask you some questions? She said, please. I said, did you see angels? And she said, how did you know that? And I said, "I'm I'm just asking questions. I said, did you happen to notice how many of them there were? Oh, yeah, she said. There were three of them. Okay, uh, don't say anything else. Were they down uh, in front of the stage on the floor? Were they kind of hovering above me? Or did you notice where they were? She said, I sure did. There were, they were, there were two on either side and a tall one that was standing behind you. And I said, one more question. Did, did you notice their size? That's maybe a silly question. Oh, no, she said, the two on either side of you were short. But the one behind you was a real tall dude. That was her exact words. <laughs> I said, have you heard anything about my supernatural life? She says, I don't, I'm sorry, sir. I've, I've read a couple of your books on apology. That's four independent testimonies that, that have the very same facts and they don't know each other. Now, that would withstand a court of law and would would, would pass, Hmm. Now, regarding demons, there are there are certain ways that we know beyond any reasonable doubt that they're real. Number one, I have come to trust the biblical teaching over the years because I've put it to the test of archaeology and prophecy, and I, uh, I actually have come to believe that what it teaches is true. So that's my first reason. My second reason is that if a person who has either got some psychological disorder or is demonized or both uh if if they are not capable of doing the things the new testament says a demonized person can't do for example love the brethren um uh be love the word instead of reacting against it uh being able to say that jesus is my lord uh if they can't do those things then that is evidence that they're demonized because multiple personality cases and others, people are able to say those things and they don't mean anything to them, but they can affirm. Yeah. Jesus is Lord. Uh, And so that's the second piece of evidence. The third piece of evidence I witnessed myself and that's where nothing has worked, including medication and therapy. uh, But when, Deliverance prayer is presented, they are instantaneously healed, and it never comes back. This happened to me in church because, long story short, a couple came to church. The father was a psychiatrist. The mother was involved in marriage and family therapy. They had a daughter that was a teenager that for about six months had been manifesting just odd behavior and had undergone a radically negative personality shift. And they had, uh, this had happened early, but they had tried a year of medication, therapy, nothing worked. They came as a last ditch to our church, and and there were six or seven of us that prayed over her for about 30 minutes, and the demon left. Now, here's how I know that. I got an email from the parents saying, Professor Moreland, I, I have to tell you, it's been a week now and our daughter has been radically transformed and she, well, I contacted them four years later and, uh, they, they told me it, nothing, it never came back. She is now leading a campus Christian group where she's going to college. She, she is in love with the Lord. She has changed. And that behavior never returned. Well, you, what do you make of that that's a, that's where uh, a demonic uh exorcism uh gave healing where nothing else worked here's the final way i know there are numerous reports of this and i know of two uh professors with doctorates that don't know each other but both reported this very thing to me both of them were in a session where they were seeking to help deliver a uh, person from demonic uh, interference, and the person before they started began to go around the room and tell each person standing there, including the the professor, some secret about their lives that no one knew. For example, uh, that at least nobody in the room, for example, he told the the the, the professor you're your mother died two years ago, and here's what she died of. And it was, uh, it was, it was exactly right. And you last Tuesday, you were in a Walmart, and, and you stole such and such and got and shoved it in your purse, and nobody saw it. You, sir, you were looking at pornography last week on Wednesday night when your wife went shopping. And it, these both of these profs went around afterwards and asked each person, was what that individual said true? And their jaws were on the floor, and they said it was 100% true.
0: Hmm. Well,
1: Aaron, the human being could not have known those things. There was another presence in there that knew those facts. And that all these combine to indicate to me that demons are absolutely real and they're like rats. I explain all this in the book, but, but usually they need garbage before they can have in, right, a right to enter. And they typically fester and make the garbage worse. So if you have uh, anger or whatever, they will end up f- making that worse and festering it so that if you get delivered, then, then you d- also need to get pastoral counseling or something to get rid of the underlying garbage that allowed them a foothold in you in the first place.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. And like we were talking about earlier, that's these are the kind of stories, and testimonies that I think that, that Christians don't talk about often.
1: I'm with and you. And
0: whenever we do hear about these uh, these kind of purported testimonies, a lot of time they they come from maybe a, a somewhat less than trustworthy source, or they're a little kooky. Yes. Uh, and yeah, yeah. So it's it's incredible to hear things like that. But in the book, you you want it to be a guide to experiencing miracles. I do. And so, what are just a, a couple of ways? If you can give us some preview or insight, what, yes. what are some ways that you help the reader to right. learn how to experience miracles?
1: I'll do that. I do it in two ways. Uh, the first is in the chapter one. I list eight eight practical steps, and I'll, I'll give some of those in a minute as to how you, they will help you grow in your faith for these things. Second, in the chapters on these five different kinds of miracles, I give specific application about how to step out and begin to see more of this happen. So I don't just leave people with stories, but these stories are, they're really good. And they they amaze me when I think about them again. I'm, I, I know about them. But uh, in the in the beginning, I say, well, one thing that I want you to start doing is that when you're around other Christian friends, ask them this question: In the last year, have you ever seen something, an answer to prayer uh, or or someone healed or or you know a person who testified to you that their friend was healed and you trust this testimony? Or have you ever had God specifically speak to you in some way? to give you direction and what he said happened. Um, I, have you ever seen a miracle that you're, it's beyond any doubt to you that it wasn't a coincidence? But if you have, please, I'd love to hear about it. Now, um, and, and you can say, and don't feel any embarrassment if you haven't, that's okay. It's, I I just am wanting to know if you have. So I have found, I, I gave this assignment to a, a, a student who had read my book and she was leading a Bible study with six people in it. And, uh, and I said, try this in your Bible study. And they were going through the word up until then, and they were having a wonderful time, but they'd never talked about this sort of thing. So she said, I got kind of a, well, it's a little different question, but I wanna ask. And so she asked this question. And she she came to me and said, you're not gonna believe it, but we went on for two solid hours after I asked that question because there were so many stories that people had to share of things they'd seen and heard that it was unreal. The, 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 mm-hmm. and, and they, they all sounded entirely credible. Oh, these people are good folks. They're not looking for their 15 minutes of fame. And I, we all went away saying, we need to talk about these things more often. So ask people. Secondly, start reading credible books that share authentic testimonies about the things they've seen and in the back of my book i have a wonderful annotated brief bibliography of books uh, about the five different kinds of miracles that a person could read to hear more stories and so on that i am confident uh, 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 that are good good solid Authors that are that are giving real cases so so you expose yourself to more um, another suggestion uh, uh, support the Jesus film and you will get i think it's once or twice a month the Jesus Film newsletter, and i've been doing that for ten years i'm telling you, Aaron, the jesus film newsletter acts has got twenty eight chapters it reads like acts twenty nine I am telling you what these film crews are seeing in these other parts of the world will make you get on your knees and weep because it is beyond, oh, it's just so encouraging. Well, expose yourself. These Jesus film people are are, are risking their lives and living in hard circumstances to spread the gospel. They're not gonna make up miracle stories. Plus there are too many of them. And so read that thing and it's gonna build your faith. These are some ideas that I've suggested uh, and those are some practical steps.
0: And what about prayer for miracles? How do we pray yeah. For, yeah. For, for God to move in the miraculous or, or maybe even whenever it's just prayers that really stretch our faith?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that the fundamental principle is come boldly before God's throne and let whatever requests you have be made known. Now, I think that. The more specific that we pray, the more we will know if it's answered that it was an intervention from God. We're afraid to, because if we get too specific, we're afraid it won't happen. And as Dallas Willard once told me, he's glad about 35% of his prayers never got answered. Uh, because they would have been worse off if they'd been answered. Yeah. And, and so I, I want people not to think that if a prayer, if if your experience is a lot of your prayers don't get answered, that's my experience, don't let that discourage you that if you stay with it with other areas, you will see things. And there are all kinds of reasons. I give 14, and I, I can't go into them, but there are a ton of really solid reasons for why we don't, see a person healed or an answer to prayer but i will tell you that when you see some of these things they they're they are disproportionately encouraging to your faith and your mm. christian life in the book i i clear up questions about why pray to god when he already knows what what you're going to pray for and you know and, and things like that and i answer those kind of questions so i think there's a lot to still be learned about prayer i think it's yeah. an important topic
0: yeah you've mentioned before that you have some help in the book and and you've touched on it uh, a little bit for those who are doubtful and hesitant to to pray those prayers maybe it's because they faced some disappointment in the past yes some prayers uh weren't answered or uh, some doors closed or a miracle that they were hoping for that didn't happen And so they're hesitant and scared to pray and believe like that again. What do you say to those people?
1: Well, first of all, I would say uh, you're normal and don't don't beat yourself up. Everybody, me, all of us have felt that way. And I have been disappointed with God a number of times. I've been angry at God uh, because there was a huge need and it looked like if he would respond, he would get so much glory from his people, and it would help that it was obvious this was his opportunity, and he didn't show up. So uh, that's, that, you get disappointed, and, and 30, I think 30% of the Psalms are lament songs, where they're complaining against God for why he didn't, he's not, doesn't seem to be keeping his promises or this, that, and the other. So you're in good company if you feel that way. Uh, that's the first thing I want to say. Don't beat yourself up for that. The second thing is, don't try to conjure up faith and expectation the next time you pray. You, it, you that's fake. You can't do that. Now, what you can do is be, start exposing yourself afresh to biblical miracles and to credible miracle stories in good books and from your friends, and that will remind you that your uh, lack of seeing these things isn't representative of everybody. Um, There are brothers and sisters who get most of their prayers aren't answered, but they do see supernatural answers to prayer. Then take whatever faith you have and try again. And I would rather... I would rather... Quote unquote," fail a hundred times, but then see something so wonderful happen that it boosts my faith for the rest of my life, and I have answers to prayer like that, then I would go protecting myself and just praying general prayers that nobody could tell when they're answered or not, uh, uh, in order that for me not to be disappointed. You don't want to live life out of fear. You want to live life out of opportunity and hope and and um hedging your bets in prayer is a way of approaching life fearfully and wanting to protect that terrible feeling uh of being disappointed and I get that, but really there's a that's not the way that you're gonna look back on your life and say i think i I went about life in the most flourishing kind of way. I'd rather be disappointed and see things." than not be disappointed and never see anything happen.
0: Mm, That's good. Well, if somebody reads the book or for someone who's listening to this podcast and is going to go and get it, what do you want to leave readers with whenever they read your book or whenever somebody closes this podcast and hopefully goes and orders it? What do you want
1: to leave people with? My book is an attempt to help you fall more in love with Jesus Christ. And to to bond with him, to learn how to co-labor with him in the power of his kingdom, and come to see more things happen around you that are that are miraculous and not coincidences. And if you do that, your impact for Christ will grow and your your faith and love toward him. Will increase powerfully. My book is a credible testimony, and I I balance it with the life of the mind, and I don't I've not stopped doing daily discipleship. It's all the above. It's not just focused on the miraculous, but this should be more of a part of what we do in the Western Church than we've been doing, and uh, that's my encouragement.
0: Thanks, JP. That's Thank really good. It. And I, I hope that that's uh, what people are taken away with as well. Uh, that if you're listening to this, that you go and get the book is called A Simple Guide to Experiencing Miracles. I'll have it linked in the show notes. So make sure you go there and you can use that link to get the book. And that uh, for the listeners and then for the readers that they do leave uh, not just with uh, some cool stories, But that they would leave with, like you said, uh, a greater love and devotion for God as they experience him working in their life. So, JP, thank you so much for your time, for coming back on the podcast. It's just been an absolute pleasure. And I just want to thank you.
1: Well, it's always a joy to be with you, Aaron. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch up later from me, you can go to my website, aaronchamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at aaron m Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the.